Hey everyone, it's Rich Bennett, host of Conversations with Rich Bennett, bringing you an exciting chance to win with our latest giveaway sponsored by Tar Heel Construction Group. Get ready to make a splash just by tuning into the podcast. Yes, you heard that right. While you're soaking up our latest episodes, listen closely for a special splash sound. When you hear it, remember the episode name. Here's what you do next. Shoot us an email at podcast at harfordcountyliving.com with the episode title. Each splash sound means a new chance to win. So the more you listen, the better your chances. If you don't have email, then just leave a voicemail from our website at conversationswithrichbennett.com. What's the prize? How about a brand new waterproof Bluetooth speaker? Perfect for listening to our episodes, whether you're in the bath, on the beach, in the pool or on the go. You have until the end of May to send in your entries and we'll announce the lucky winner on June 3rd. Don't miss out on this splashy opportunity brought to you by Tar Heel Construction Group. Dive into our episodes and win big. At the end of each podcast episode, I'm going to recommend a podcast that somehow or another ties into this episode. So please listen to the whole episode of the podcast because I guarantee you, Podcast I recommend you're going to love. He was born with aortic valve stenosis. He lost his cousin and his best friend to cystic fibrosis when he was only 10. And ever since then, he has a deeper calling in life. He has produced numerous award-winning short films and self-published two books. And he just went through open-heart surgery to take care of that birth defect. I am joined by Joe Ayler and Julia Chang as we talk with Daniel Hess. Enjoy the conversation. Coming to you from the Freedom Federal Credit Union Studios, Harford County Living presents Conversations with Rich Bennett. Come on, you're 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 with than me. guys. Oh man, you already on, said it. I was gonna ask her if she remembered the date. I am lucky. I am joined here today by two people that co-host this with me. Joe Ayler, of course, who does Lifetime Oath with me and has been on several podcasts. And the lovely, 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 lovely Mrs. Maryland 2021, Julia Chang, who I thought she forgot all about me. <laughs> I did not. I'm here. I love you. Uh-huh. Whatever. <laughs> sure. You know. CJ told you you had to come, didn't he? He loves you. Uh, he's he great. loves you. You got to meet her husband. Yeah. He he is awesome. Actually, Paul knows him, right? Yeah, we'll ninja some boards in half for you. Uh, you know, any you, you do construction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be there. Half him break a roof in half? Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you know, get your saw at home. That could be fun. So we're sitting here today. I have a gentleman on who actually came up from Baltimore, Sparrows Point area. So thank you for that, first of all, for... Because most of those people through Podmatch want to do it virtually. Yeah. And then where I saw where you, where you were, I was like, well, I wonder if he wants to do it in person. That could be better. Exactly. Said, this yeah. is actually my first time doing one in person. Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, I really didn't start until, like, COVID, you know, after the pandemic and everything. So it's all been pretty much virtual. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Your oh, in-person uh, virginity's been exactly. violated. Like been <laughs> <laughs> and with the best scoop ever. Exactly. So that's awesome. I'm honored. Well, we actually have uh, <clears throat> Daniel Hess, who is an author, filmmaker, podcaster. God, what else? Uh, 
everything. Poet, I do poetry. So poetry. That was your first book, right? Yeah, that was my first. Oh, amazing! And like I said, Colleen Curran, who was going to co-host as well, said that she's sorry she couldn't make it. He apparently, uh, you guys haven't met Colleen yet either. So Colleen plays in a band called the Solarites. She's I call her the singing acupuncturist. She owns Zen Path Wellness, but um, she also played in a band called the Avocatones. And Daniel did. Would you? Did I think you I did direct a, it, or I think I did a music video for them. Yes. years and years ago. Yep, awesome we video in Baltimore. Yep, because she, she does like that. Was it ska? Ray? Yeah. Yep. It was like that mm-hmm. ska. It's good. <laughs> I know that. It's like <laughs> listening to Revolution or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good stuff. Ballet <clears throat> or some. Um, so Daniel, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank and you. Before we get into your writing. Uh, your you, the filmmaking podcast and everything talk a little bit about yourself growing up because you grew up in sparrows point right yep now, well you're young so bethlehem <laughs> steel wasn't there at the time was it i mean it was there but it was a shell of what it was at the time you know i don't think it was it wasn't as active right as it was at one point and you went to sparrows point high school mm-hmm. so yep. what was it like growing up down there because we're well you're joe you're harford county right mm-hmm. and Julia, where I'm Virginia. You're Virginia. That's right. I'm a Harford County. Well, mm-hmm. actually, I keep people keep saying I'm a transplant from Essex, but I was only three when we moved here, so that doesn't count. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're long. But what it's was long it like, enough. especially with? I mean, Bethlehem Steel was already torn down, but you're down there by the water. They, I know, asbestos in the sky was very bad because yeah. of Bethlehem Steel. Um, but what was it like growing up down there? I mean, it was cool. I mean, it's one of those things where you you don't really see the backdrop when you're there, you know, because you're just like you're on the water. It is really nice. And, you know, it's when I was growing up, a lot of my cousins and I were all around the same age. So it was like you had a pretty much automatic friends group. Right. Because, you know, they're a little bit older, but not by much. So, I mean, it was just a lot of fun growing up there. And, you know, that small town kind of atmosphere and just, you know, doing sports and things like that. Uh, I mean, I had a little bit of a different scenario since, you know, I was born with a, actually a, a birth defect. which Really? Is, yeah. Um, it's called aortic valve stenosis. Oh, okay. Yep. So my aortic valve would, instead of pumping blood normally, some of it would leak back into the heart. And oh. Yeah. They didn't find it right away. They found it when I was one. Um, my pediatrician actually found it. And I remember my dad always tells me he can remember he saw him like cock his head in a way and he was like, ooh, that's not good. And so they wow. sent me to a cardiologist and then they were like, yep, he's got, you know, this aortic valve issue. And so every year since that point, it was, you know, going to the cardiologist, getting an EKG and echo and just monitoring it. So they didn't do like open heart surgery or anything? Well, so, you know, fast forwarding way in advance, I did this year get open heart surgery on it. Really? Yeah. Well. They they waited as long as they could, basically. Cuz wow. yeah. When I was younger they thought maybe in my 50s, but as I got older they were like, "Yeah, it's not looking great." And then I got the surgery downtown at University of Baltimore Hospital, and I remember the surgeon was like, "That was a really rough looking valve when they finally opened me up and everything." Wow. Yeah. So they replaced the valve. Yeah, so now wow. it's a mechanical valve. Wow, that's yeah. crazy. Yep. But wait, didn't you say you were playing sports growing up? Yeah, so that was that was the thing. Like I was really into sports. I played football. I mean, believe it or not, I was actually a pretty pretty heavy set kid. So I was like number ninety nine on the team, 
and uh, really enjoyed it. But that's what they told me was just like high school sports is just not going to be an option for you. So wow. I look at that as like sort of a blessing in disguise because it pushed me to think more about like academics right. and writing and all that stuff because I knew, you know, hey, like sports is not going to be an option to try to get, you know, really good at it and scholarships and all that kind of stuff. I'm surprised, though. I mean, if they just did the open heart surgery, but you were playing sports and you had no problems? Well, so I didn't get the open heart surgery until this like That's what this I'm saying, year. this year. Yeah. But as yeah. a kid playing sports, I figured... It was weird. Like, that's the crazy part is, like, even this year, like, right before I got the surgery, I was still running, like, normal. Like, I didn't feel it at all. So wow. that's why I say any other point in history like 50 years ago even like i probably would have just been running one day and just would have collapsed and that would have been it because i didn't feel a difference yeah and they were all kind of out for you yeah i mean because you know we were doing it every six months the last few years and she looked at it and was like i think we're okay and then the next day called me and was like well i looked at it again and i think we're at that point Mm. and i'm glad she did because like i said the surgeon was just like once we really could look at it we could tell it was just like it was bad. Wow. wow. Yeah. How do you feel now? I mean, great. I'm actually better or? Yeah. I mean, my heart, it's weird because like I woke up, you know, after the surgery and my heart rate is completely different. So it's like getting used to that was weird. And like when I'm in a small space, I can hear the mechanical valve like ticking. Right. So like that's taken some getting used to and stuff. But, you know, once I got over that like mental hurdle and then recovered, I was like in a pretty good place with everything. So here's the health part of me coming out. <laughs> so before... Before the surgery, what was your relaxed heart rate at? It was low. It was like in like if I was in the nineties, it was like a good thing. They were always like, "Are you okay?" Because your blood pressure is really low right now, and I'd just be like, "Yeah." I'm fine. And your relaxed heart rate was in the nineties. Yeah, it was really like really low. That's low. That's what they I were think telling I'm me. Dead. <laughs> What's resting like a hundred in the hundred? Like I think so because I think now I'm like one ten or something like that or one twenty. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent on that, but. Yeah. What yeah. am I doing wrong? My rest, my <laughs> resting mean, heart rate they, is like fifty five. No 55, way. Yes. It says what? It says what? That Fitbit. Oh. Who said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I don't have I on. Very accurate. Uh, I'm beginning to think. Well, maybe they, maybe they, because I know in, in adolescence, in adolescence, the heart rate is higher. So maybe that ninety number you're remembering was maybe like when you were much younger because i think adult resting is like 60 or 80 yeah, or something like that. Yeah, okay, i have it all mixed up i was gonna then. say maybe i'm like just interpreting what they would tell me completely wrong because i didn't really check it like there's no need to check it at home yeah. and all that stuff yeah. but they did have me on like blood pressure medication growing up so that might have impacted what was your blood too. pressure at normally um again i i don't know like all the details that's like mom questions <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you, hey, you mom, know, yeah, if you're you listening, know. call in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would know. Um, wow. But, yeah, so they had me on that for a while. And then, you know, like going to the dentist, I would always have to take like eight of these amoxicillin pills because, mm. you know, they didn't want blood. Like if blood fell in, you could get infections. And oh, stuff. man. Yeah. I know when you get anxious or like you get like extremely stressed or something very traumatic happens to you and then you consciously consciously pay attention to your heart, it can be a little mm-hmm. like the I, I feel on the mindset Scary. thing. Yeah. But normally, like just when you're going on with your daily life, you don't yeah. really feel or even think about your heart until it starts to skip a beat or starts to yeah. pump. And then you, then you can kind of get uh, fixated on it. But yeah, well. Wow. That's good. You got it fixed up. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Thank God for uh, 
for modern medicine yeah. and, and valve replacements. and That's what I'm saying. You know, any other time and place, I probably wouldn't be here right now. So. And it's a mechanical valve. Yeah. It's so made how of titanium. often do you, will you have to go back for them? To, what was that? It's Would made you? of titanium. Oh, that's pretty cool. Well, that's got to be real fun going through a... Well, I think it actually doesn't set off. Oh, really? Yeah, because of the the way the metal is, it like doesn't actually set off the like the detectors or whatever. So, because I went through one recently and it didn't go off. So, now do you have to go back like every certain amount of years for them to? Yeah, they they want to keep an eye on it because they did also find like a um, aneurysm in there that they fixed up. So they're going to do like some genetic testing and stuff like that. Yeah, because there is. I'm glad you're doing a lot better. (laughs) I didn't realize all that. Yeah. Yeah. Holy cow. I mean, it took about three months. I mean, it was in January, and they said about three months for recovery, and it was about exactly that. And, you know, I, so I, I'm back to normal. I take it during those three months, you probably sat down and did a lot of writing. <laughs> That's the thing. It's just, like, it was so rough that I didn't – I barely did anything, really. Because, like, I had brain fog. Like, there's a lot of, like, issues that I didn't know were going to pop up. Really? That, yeah, that took me a lot of getting used to. Um, I actually had to, ended up going back into the hospital not too long after the surgery just because I was, you know, there was blood that popped up where blood shouldn't be because right. of, they have me on blood thinners now. And oh, when geez. I went back, it was just a whole ordeal, and I lost, like, way more weight, and I was still dealing with the brain fog. So it was a, a bit of a rough, like, month and a half to begin with. But then after that, it sort of tapered out. But yeah, not just not a lot of energy. Like I would yeah. just get headaches really easily and stuff like that. So, wow. yeah. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Holy cow! Yeah. So, how old were you when you started writing? So I started writing. I'd say pretty early on. I can remember being a kid and watching like old Godzilla movies growing up i love them <laughs> and uh i would always try to like think of scenarios like different stories with godzilla fighting some new monster or something right and i would you know just write little things like not anything formal but just little thoughts and stuff like that so that's really where i think writing initially came into play for me all right wait a minute because you're a lot younger than me so the godzilla movies i remember watching were made in japan and they were dubbed over here yep now are you talking that's about exactly Exactly okay, so the same those, ones. Yep. Not the first one, on like with Matthew Broderick yeah. or whatever. Is he was. talking about the ones in the early 2000s or the 1950s? <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I was, yeah, that's yeah. I was wondering. You yeah, like Godzilla versus Mothra. Uh-huh. I love those movies, exactly. man. Exactly. Yep, those are the ones. You can see the little line on the airplane, <laughs> the string and everything, man. They were great. I, oh, man, they were the best. Mm-hmm. So That was in your heyday. <laughs> I was not born in the fifties, Joe. It was the sixties. The, 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 the sock hops and the uh, and the fountain. What do they call them? <laughs> the uh, drive-in diners. <laughs> this, this is what I go through every time. He's like, this is what I have to deal with. And the the, the first the thing gallery. I thought about yep. this morning when I'm coming in, I'm like, Joe's going to start cracking on me because I'm growing the beard now. So whenever he co-hosts all the time, he's like, how long has it been? How long has it been? How long has it been? Since June 1st. So you gotta get ready for Christmas. Are you, are you already getting for getting ready for Christmas? Oh yeah, Santa for Christmas. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So June first is when I start growing it. Is that so right? I got ways to go to be, before go. I catch up to Sean. So, mm. <laughs> all 
a long ways ago. I did lose 10 pounds, which was good. Because when I did it last time, I love the kids, but, you know, <laughs> I, I did a cookies with Santa, and they kept giving me these cookies. You can't yeah. say no. you got to yeah. eat them. And I put on 10 pounds. No, actually 20 pounds because I went up to 270. And I, I thought you had to put on weight to play Santa. Well, I wear the fake belly, man. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. You got to go. That's what you thought you, that was my real belly you when gotta, you were here? You got to go organic weight. I was going to say method acting. Yeah. Method <laughs> acting. Di- <laughs> really dive into it. Uh-huh. Into Damn. character. Yes. <laughs> I'm done. You're, 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 you're picking on me. I know it's been a while, but come on. <laughs> so I with writing... So you're talking about monsters and all that. Yeah. And, and then move forward to, because you wrote poetry first? What yeah. was published first, poetry, or did you actually publish like a novel first? No, it was the poetry was the first thing that I published. So what made you switch over? Well, poetry really came in. I mean, the origin of that came from, you know, I had my really close friend growing up. His name was Tony, mm-hmm. and he had cystic fibrosis. So... I think because I had, like, my heart condition and everything, we kind of bonded. Right. Because we both kind of understood, like, you know, we have these problems that we're dealing with. So, and he was also, like, I was the oldest, so he was kind of like an older brother because he was four years older than me. Okay. So I sort of always looked up to him in that regard. Um, But when he was 14, he actually went into a coma and was at Hopkins, and it was... 10 days before my 11th birthday that he actually passed away. Oh, man. From cystic fibrosis. So being that young and just, like, seeing someone also pretty young yeah. that passed away. Because, like, in, in my mind then, it was, you know, death wasn't a thing. Right. You know? So a lot of the processing with that was what kind of culminated in me writing poems and stuff like that. Because I just felt pretty isolated. Like, you know, I knew I had my parents to talk to, but... As far as other kids and stuff like that, nobody else had that. Yeah. You know, so it was just, that was my cathartic way of sort of getting it out. And that was, for me, the birth also of realizing that writing could be cathartic. So it could be deeper than just, like, stories about monsters and stuff like that if I wanted it to be. So An outlet, a form of therapy, journaling almost, right? Yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Yeah, I had read that about you, that you were nine years old when you lost your friend, and that kind of hit me because I have three kids. My oldest is eight. He's turning nine in August. And you think, gosh, um, you know, as a mother, you place your child in that situation, and, and to see that it still, you know, not affects you, but it's it was such a big moment in your life that you're, you're still talking about it, and it's shaped into who you are today. Yeah. Um, yeah, and last month was cystic fibrosis month, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. May was? I think May was. I think I read that somewhere. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Do you do anything um, with the organization or anything like that? Um, I did for a little bit, and I'm trying to get back into it. I mean, yeah. COVID and everything sort of dropped a There was a yeah. wrench into everything. Yeah. yeah. So. And then you have a new book that came out two days ago? Yeah, just yeah. came out this Congratulations. week. Congratulations. Thank you. How's that going? How's the launch going? Good. I've been, I've been working with a lot of different, like, influencer types and things like that so it's been a lot of fun because it seems like word is getting out pretty well yeah and uh everything and people seem to be really enjoying it so that makes me happy to hear (laughs) tell everybody the name of the book and what it's about um so the book is called focus puller and it's basically about a young guy's name's ben and it sort of follows his life in short vignettes 
and you know you get these different little stories that are told kind of non-linearly um so you're getting bits and pieces of like the puzzle that is this character and then it also kind of has these moments where you are hearing it from the perspective of like women that he's had relationships with over the years so it's like kind of a giant character study where you get to see reflections from him just these like sort of narrated points and then also reflections from the people that he's had relationships with so it's yeah, so it kind of paints a picture of a whole character throughout these little stories. Wow. And everything. Yeah. What a skill. <laughs> Books, yeah, authoring a book is no easy feat. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. I was going to say, and it's self-published, right? Yeah. Yep. All self-published. Wow. So it's been. So how, how's that work? Do you, is it like, is it digitally like released or do you, are there hard copies or? It's both. Yeah. Like you have like a like an ebook version and then a paperback version. Is that right? And you work with different. Like I worked with someone who knows how to do all that, so they format it. So you basically send over the word document, and then they format it for a Kindle version, and then format it for a paperback version, and then you get like cover art made and all that stuff. So you know, I learned a lot through the poetry book, just the step by step sort of process like how to publish yeah. and you just since it's self-published that means you just you bankroll the whole yeah it's everything yeah. self-funded and then whatever money comes in is also just you know it's a split because amazon of course is taking a little bit for printing and shipping and all that stuff but you know you're getting the residuals from that like do you pay that up front yeah it's all so the difference so you say hey i want five thousand copies or like how how's that work? They they print on demand these days. So how's like that yeah, it's just yeah. whenever somebody orders, they'll do a new print. It used to be that you could do that, where it's like you could get a thousand copies mm-hmm. at once and then sort of slowly sell it yourself. Right, right, right. But they've sort of changed that around now, so it makes it a little bit less of a risk. So you don't have to put up so much money up front and everything. Um, but yeah, it's basically the opposite. Like with traditional publishing, usually you get like a stipend from the publisher. So, like, you finish the book, let's say you get, like, $50,000 for writing it, and then if the book breaks a certain amount, you'll get more money after that, but usually you don't. So it's like you get a lot of money up front, but, you know, in the long run, you could maybe make more if you had, like, big name recognition because you're just selling it. Mm -hmm. And either way, you own the copyright. So even with traditional publishing, if it gets picked up for a movie, that's where you actually make a bunch of your money. Because like the studios will kind of give you a, a fee for all that and everything. Right. So yeah. the other good thing of you being self-published, you're not on a deadline. No. Whereas if you're with a publishing company, a lot of times those publishing companies put you on a deadline. Mm-hmm. We we want this next manuscript done by this date. <clears throat> we want and or you have to release like so many books in a year. So what you would write like some poems and some short stories or character uh, focused stuff and you would send it out to publishing companies and then they would get back to you and say, Hey, we're going to pick this up. Is that kind of how, I mean, you could do that route. Like there's definitely like reaching out to different publishing companies, but like how does somebody get, I mean, you would have to just reach out to them just to get picked up and they say, yeah, we like, we like the story. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say if you're (laughs) lucky and usually you have to have like a literary agent on your side. They won't really, they don't read like unsolicited stuff typically nowadays. But these days, like, you know, writers and even, uh, musicians often release their own stuff. Yeah. It's easier to do these days. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's been very democratized over the years. But like I said, it's like unless you are repped by like a publishing agency or something like that, 
you're probably not going to get it picked up unless you're really, really lucky. Yeah. So right. I'd like talked with a few places and just realized that like, I like it because I have, again, like you're saying, the control of saying, okay, this is when I want to release it. This is what I want to mm-hmm. do with it. Yeah. And I enjoy like overseeing all the like marketing aspects. I was just going to say the yeah. marketing and everything too. Yeah. How fun. long of how many pages is it? Uh, it's two hundred fifty pages. Okay, that's yeah. pretty. So, so you mentioned something earlier about Kindle and paperback being different. Mm-hmm. I never, I never realized that there's two different versions. Yeah. So I mean, it's really just the way it's formatted and laid out. Like you're laying it out more for just a tablet. Oh, so okay, so like, editing-wise, yeah. it's nothing different. No, no, the okay. content is no different. It's just one is, you know, you have to factor in, like, the spine of the book and, like, right. the margins and stuff, whereas the other, it's like you got this one kind of screen size that you sort of look into, and then you just format it for that. So how long did it actually take you to write this? It took me... I started writing it not too long after I published the first book, which is in January of... What was that? Twenty twenty one. So hard to say with COVID, you know. Yeah, 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 right? got it all blurs together. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I started writing it maybe like slightly before I released that. So it took me about like took me about a little over a year. That's not bad. And yeah. what was the name of the first book? Uh, Just a boy blaming himself. And how long did it take you to write that one? So that was a con- like that was a combination of like six years of poetry that I had written. Wow! Like just out and about, like on my phone mainly. And then just started putting it into just one collection. Okay, so that's a book that. of poetry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this, yeah, Focus Puller is the first, like, novel, whereas Just a Boy was just poetry that I had been collecting. Okay. Yeah. Both of them are on Amazon. Mm-hmm. So people can still get the first one. Yeah. Yep, well, isn't there right. another one, too? Or are you working on another one or something? So I'm also, I have a couple of screenplays that I've written. Screenplay, okay. On. So two feature film movies right now that are in trying to get into the works again it's you know you're reaching out to a lot of studios a lot of producers and you're up against that wall of like most big places aren't taking unsolicited scripts and if you're not repped you're usually you know fighting that fight because they you know they get a lot of junk and i understand that so it's like you're fighting that that crowd all right so with you doing your publishing your own book Mm-hmm. Doing your own marketing, the screenwriting, the the film production, all this you're doing yourself. Yeah. And with <laughs> everything with your health, with, with the heart and all, why did you decide to do this? <laughs> I, I'm serious because, that, I mean, a lot of people think that's a lot of stress. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not stressful to me. I mean, I just enjoy you love it. it. Yeah. yeah. It's a, yeah, it's not a job, you know. Just, right. You I said it was up. therapeutic. Yeah, you know? that's what I mean. Yeah. Is like, and the problem was is that for a long time I just didn't have the confidence, especially mm-hmm. in the writing. Yeah. Uh, you know, growing up, very small town, and then nobody in my family was an artist at all, so I didn't have somebody to talk to or mentor or anything like that. Right. And you know, bless my parents, but they they do want you to succeed in life. So the thought is like. Do something a little more grounded, you know those things, and Stay right. get a salary. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, because I was supposed to originally go to college for pharmacy studies of all things, and at the last second changed it because I knew deep down that it wasn't going to be gratifying at all for me. Um, but that was that's always been the struggle. Is just like 
do I go all in on this? Do I try to find something that's going to be guaranteed and all that? But as I've gotten older, it's just like, you know, you just got to do it yeah. and stuff. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Very entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, for girl, for women, we I, I call myself a passionista. Okay. I don't know that you would be one want to be called a passionista maybe a I like it it's, I was going to say yeah. Like yeah just things do things that I'm really passionate about that I want to I like that um, yeah so I can relate to that in um, a variety of ways too like what I'm doing now I do online health and fitness coaching I don't go to the gym and do personal training I do it all online and my dad was like what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> but now he gets it because I'm, you know, it's like it's like been taking off and it's it's very exciting. Yeah. And I'm kudos to you on writing a book. I've been trying to author a book for mm. all year now. I told you the name of the the title. I have the title, but it's like the process is like I can write blogs, I can write great social media posts. I love writing. Mm-hmm. And then you sit down and write a book, and I'm like blank, like yep. nothing. I got nothing. I'm like, I'm that's, just gonna that's only aside. because you have a million things going on right now. Maybe, maybe I have to set aside a time, yeah. you know, like an hour a day. Is that what you do? Give me some tips. I mean, I was going to say a lot of times people do the word count thing where they'll say, okay, I wrote like 300 words today. That's what Hemingway used to do. Oh, okay. Really? Well, mm-hmm. if Hemingway and Hess does it, <laughs> do it, then, you know. Yeah. He would, he would keep a, he kept a journal where he kept a word count of how many words he would write in a day. And that's been like a very modern, like a lot of modern writers do that too. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I will take. I will try yeah. that. That I can do. Yeah. Well, even if I that's don't. That's what I mean. Use you it, tell just... yourself, okay, I'm going to write 300 words today. It's like that's really not that much. That's not much. Yeah. At all. Exactly. A few paragraphs. Yeah. I can do that. So that's what I mean, and that's okay. what I did with this book. It's like there's short vignettes because it's just like I would just write a chapter and be like, okay. But I used to think like, oh, a chapter has to be this amount, and yeah. you know, you overthink it. But really, after reading Hemingway too. I realized, like, some of his chapters are, like, three pages, and that's it. And, like, that's what I told myself was, like, oh, wait, a chapter doesn't have to be 20 pages. It could be a couple, you know, pages, and that's fine. So, yeah, things when you tell yourself things like that, I think it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that good. That takes the pressure off. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And did you go in order or did you just kind of like put it together? Cuz the order I, thing is like bugging me. Like, yeah, I was going to say chapter 2. I'm like, I don't I don't know. <laughs> yeah, this is I mean, I wrote it non-linear and my original thought was like, okay, I'm going to just write this out scrambled and then I'm maybe going to put it back together. But then I just was like, you know what? It flows really nice like this, so I just kept it that way. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Very when, cool. When are you going to start writing yours, Joe? I like writing, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is therapeutic. Once you've, like, finished, like, I don't know. I don't write, like, a lot, but, I mean, I'll have to write, like, blurbs about the company or, like, mm-hmm. a mission statement or, or you know, like a post or something like that. And when you complete it and, you, and it's well-structured and, you know, and sounds, you know, well put together and you know you, you you deliver your point you know it is and you finish you're like all right you know feel good yeah, yeah. it is it's yeah. a nice feeling yeah, yeah. for sure doing that. I, I used to well i used to write poetry and songs all the time yeah and it was it was therapeutic it helped out a lot yeah, and sometimes maybe it'll help my hair grow back. I need to go back to doing that. But sometimes, like some of my favorite, some of my favorite music, like uh, on Apple Music, it's got like a feature where you can read the lyrics, yes. like as it's you know, you know, and then and then I'll look at it and I'll read it like after this, and it's really not. It, it, it's a great song, but you know, there's really not a lot of con like depth in the yeah. you know mm-hmm. in, in the words, you know. But um, yeah, yeah, that, that's yeah. I'd, yeah, getting yourself in that kind of mental space to uh, is challenging for me, you know. And I would, 
I would assume would be challenging for for anybody who wants to write because any anything the your mood the weather you know yeah, anything I, can kind of tweak your so true your the kids set. coming into the room yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a big thing for me I'm like. Right. But then sometimes you get in, I would imagine you get into a zone and you just keep rolling. You can be yeah, right definitely. for hours. You know, sometimes like you said, sit down, you bang out a hundred words and that's all I got, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. And then and the vocabulary, you know, I guess your vocabulary has grown. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely, yeah, little things like that. And then, you know, I use like, there's apps now, which are amazing with like Microsoft Word called like uh, the Grammarly. one I use. Yeah. Like Grammarly yeah. or Pro Writing Aid. Because that was the other part of it. Cool. Like Taking not notes feeling, here. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like it helps so much because I never felt confident about, like, my grammar. And that was always the biggest critique I would get is just like, man, you have bad grammar. And I'm like, I do. I, oh, <laughs> but it helps. I'm the worst at yeah. it. it. But I, I use Grammarly and Quillbot a lot because you know, with, with putting articles up there. And you, you'd be amazed how many press releases I get. Mm-hmm. And I'll put them through there and we're like, Okay, they didn't really check all this <laughs> yeah. stuff. But bro, I don't know if, if you listen to um, like as far as like you know, if you're writing and you've got a dictionary, and a thesaurus handy, and all that stuff. But I I listen to Jordan Peterson, mm. and and he is just an amazing conversationalist, and his vocabulary is just so expansive. He just rolls off these like just the way he talks and articulates his thoughts and stuff like that is ridiculous. But um. No, I, I like to kind of look around in, in the dictionary and I'll have a search of words that I want to know what they mean. But mm-hmm. in order to understand a word and then to be able to improvisationally inject it into a conversation is, is hard because there's just yeah. so many words in the English yeah. language, like so many. Like we've got a lot of Latinos that work for us and um, and, and we have for years and uh and English is a hard language to learn because mm-hmm. there's just so many words. I, th- I don't know how many words there are, but I know it's like f- like five or six times the amount of words in the in the English vo- you know in the English vocabulary or in the English language than there is in Spanish. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, yeah, we keep getting more words added, right? Yeah, words <laughs> mean <laughs> one word can mean like. Five different things. <laughs> the things are different uh-huh. now. You can create words, you know. That's you what can, I mean. You just There's, make up words. Yeah, yeah. But right, yeah, writing's cool, man. I, I I enjoy it when I when I do write. But um, yeah, the. And I, I used to read a lot. I still read a little bit, but uh, my wife reads off one of them little paper whites mm-hmm. thing, and she'll yeah. roll through a book. I mean, she reads. She'll roll through a book a night. She reads a ton. Wow. Um, I can't. But the I think reading on a reading on like a like a physical copy I think is is harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and really? I, I'm, I'm hoping I, for me it is. I hope she'll she'll get me a paperweight maybe for my birthday or for. Um, Did you say a paperweight? That's what it's called, yeah, right? Paper paperweight. It's a style. It's like the style <laughs> of the. It's not a Kindle though. It, it might be. Yeah, it might yeah, be a different. Kindle company. makes the white one too. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, yeah they have. A it looks just like pages. It. But she'll just go onto her at wherever she find gets her stuff, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and we'll see a little like five ninety nine chart, and she'll buy like six or seven books you know exactly. for the week or whatever yeah. but the th- it's therapeutic for her you know you know she reads a lot of uh fiction so mm-hmm. it's just you, know, you get lost in that story it's quiet yeah, you know it's yeah. not like tv it's not like social media where you're overly stimulated it's quiet i actually prefer the pages just because <clears throat> i'm like yeah like because i'm on my yes. laptop and social media and phone all the time i'm like i need something old school exactly well, that's what gets me back kids today like my daughter and all her friends that they actually have the physical books 
And they won't get rid of them, even after they read them, because they'll go back and read them again and again and again. Yeah. You know, whereas there's only a few books where I could read over and over again. Not a lot. Yeah. But no, they keep all theirs. Yeah, that's good. It's a total preference. It's got to be paperback or hardcover. (laughs) And actually with yours, are you seeing more sales on the Kindle or paperback edition? Um, so, I mean, initially it's been a little bit more on the Kindle, but okay. usually it is actually more on the paperback. Um, I think it's like, I mean, it's an interesting topic you bring up because I think there is this like need for people to have physical, you know, there's just the physicality mm-hmm. of things because I think especially, you know, like my sister, my youngest sister is 10 years younger than me. So like I see it with her where she likes the the Polaroids with like the Instamatics yeah. and stuff because it's just I think growing up so digitally you you just have this like yearning to want to have like actual items that you can hold yep. and stuff. So yeah, like books have certainly come back around. I mean it's like how vinyls have come back around and all that yes. stuff. I think we just while we can get it all digitally, there's something about and even for me it's like there's something about having the item you know, and then touch, yeah, feel, exactly. look, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing too, with, with you being self-published, and a lot of people may not notice, but explain to everybody the difference pay-wise for you between somebody getting your book on Kindle versus paperback. Well, with Kindle, it's you have the luxury of there's no printing, right? So you actually you get I think it's sixty or sixty-five percent of the sales from that. Whereas books, it's like you got the printing costs and things like that. And I think it's only like 40 or 45%. So it's like with Kindle, let's say I think the book is 10 bucks on Kindle. So I think from that I'm getting like 6 bucks. Versus with the printing, I think I'm only getting like maybe 5 like 4 or 5 bucks Because, it, it you know, you got to pay for the prints and all that stuff. Right. So you actually get a little bit less off of the actual printed book. But like I said, there's usually more of a demand for the printed one. Okay. I thought, because I know some people, like if you get it, you can get the free version through Kindle. But somebody, it may have been Danny Mickey, I can't remember. But somebody explained to me, so when it's on Kindle, you get paid by how many pages they read. But if they're purchasing the book in, in total on Kindle, that would makes sense that'd be different yeah i know they do like previews that you can look at through kindle and they might have a different because they do have a few different programs you can do with kindle but like the version that i'm using is just you know it's kind of like they just buy it outright there's not really like a per page kind of thing or anything with it yeah so who, as far as the illustration part goes, the, the cover of the book, you didn't I love do, the cover of the book. Thank you. But that, did you do that yourself or you actually got somebody to do it? So I found somebody through Instagram that's actually, she's based in Texas. And when I saw her work on her page, I was just like, I think this is what I'm looking for exactly. So I sort of reached out to her and started the conversation and then ended up commissioning her to do the cover art and everything. Yeah. I'm learning more and more people are finding things on Instagram and it's like, I mean, for art stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but it used to be everybody would go to Fiverr. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Fiverr's still a thing. I yeah. I was going to say, I use Fiverr a lot. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot with that still, but if you're just looking for like, for me, it was just illustrations that were just interesting and unique. Right. So I think I just literally typed in like through the hashtag, I think painter or illustration or something. And she just happened to be in the feed. And I came across it, and that's how I, I found her. So it was all kind of happenstance. 
you know. With I'm everything. learning more and more about Instagram. Like I didn't know there was different TikToks and all mm-hmm. that. I, I, oh, like the reels, the reels feature. Uh, yes, the I'm reels. Oh, we should create a reel for your Instagram. <laughs> 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 Let's just take a little break here so I can talk about one of my co-hosts and his business, Joe Ayler of Tar Heel Construction Group. You've heard me talk about them in the past. I'm always bragging about them on social media because they simply are the best. They have the awards, the reviews, everything to prove it. GAF Presidents Club, GAF Triple Excellent Award, GAF Master Elite, also won the Harford County Living Choice Awards for Best Roofer, also Best of Harvard winner, and recently named in Inc. Magazine's Top 5,000 Fastest Growing Companies in the Country. The reviews speak for themselves. The awards speak for themselves. If you need a roof, if you need siding, you need gutters, there's only one place to go, and that's Tar Heel Construction Group. Go to TarHillConstructionGroup.com. Again, that's Tar Heel Construction Group. Dot com or give them a call at 410-638-7021. Again, that's 410-638-7021. Tell them Rich from Hartford County Living Center. Are you, you going to start cracking on me too? No, 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 no. I'm nah. not. No, no. I'm going to create something. It's okay. I don't use TikTok, so. I, I, I'm not on TikTok. I, I, I mean, I am, but. I just using it for my podcast, uh-huh. and I'm still trying to figure it out. It, 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 Rich is curve. still trying to figure out email. I, <laughs> Now, my son's heavy on, on what did we say? TikTok. TikTok. And I can't watch some of his stuff there. It's like, dude, really? But anyways. There's love you, lot. Dan. He's still got an AOL. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Man. He got the 30-day free trial. The AOL. dialogue. Yeah, the disc. Uh-huh, he got the disc. I, yeah, it's the little floppy disc, too. Um, before, we, before we go further, tell <laughs> It's all you, him. I miss you, too, Joe. It's all um, him. Tell everybody your website. Yeah, so my website is uh, twotonyproductions.com. That's T-O-T-O-N-Y productions.com. And then you get the books where? So you can actually, there's links to the books from the website, and then you can also get them on Amazon. And then right now I'm on the, what I call the indie bookstore tour, where I'm just reaching out to tons of different indie bookstores across the country. Um, I think it's, right now it's in six bookstores that I kind of had relationships with from the last book. So I'm trying to build up more of a network from there. Yeah, as well. do you have any book signings lined up or um, planning on it? I have. I'm doing like a book event up in Hershey, PA, in October. Okay, it's like the Chocolate Town Book Festival. So I'll be there like selling books, but it's not directly like a book signing or anything like okay. that. Yeah. Look into. Have you ever? I don't know. If, I, I'm sure Baltimore County's got one. I know there's a Maryland Writers Group. Yeah, I'm in the, the association. Yep. Okay. I signed up for that about two years ago because okay. I didn't. I found out about them just Google searching. So. And I know Harford County. Every I think it might be in November this year. They do the authors and artists okay. show at the Bel Air Army, where where you a great another great place for you to sell your books. Yeah. I'd of course, you would have to one. take some books with you. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, so you're gonna have to purchase, have Joe purchase a thousand of them for you. <laughs> Store them in the garage. <laughs> but you do a podcast as, as well, right? Uh, so yeah, I was for a long time. I was doing a podcast called Filmmaker of the Week. Um, I've sort of transitioned that more into a written format than oh, just straight okay. podcasting. Uh, just from a time perspective, that was like the one thing I couldn't keep and squeezing in. that's what's on in. your website as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So I still do new episodes, but it's mainly just I send like a questionnaire and sort of chat with uh, different filmmakers through like email and stuff like that. 
So with the film production, yeah. how did you get into that? Um, so again, that was through a friend of mine uh, that I sort of met in high school, and that was his thing. Like he was really into film in high school. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so like I was always I I'd, I'd always seen like the value of film. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say like one of the best memories I have is watching like the Back to the Future trilogy. Oh God. <laughs> And, you know, it was when I was younger, so it was, like, me and my dad, and I remember him pointing out, like, in the first one, right, where you're at the mall, Mm -hmm. and it's, like, the Twin Pine Mall, but then when he goes back in time and runs over one, then it's the Lone Pine Mall. (laughs) So, like, stuff that I didn't pick up on, that, like, my dad was actually pretty astute about, and, like, that kind of stuck with me. I was like, whoa, you can have this, like, world and all this stuff. So that was, like, the, the first kind of inkling of, like, seeing the depth that films could have. But then once I was with my friend, like, he just loved it, and we would just watch all these movies all the time and just talk about it. And so that really kind of combined with my writing at the time, right before college is why I transitioned from pharmacology to film sort of at the last second. And ever since then, I've just kind of stuck with it. So how long have you had the production company? I started that when I was still in college in 2009. Oh, wow. And then I think I did the official, like, LLC and all that stuff, like 2011 or 12, something like that. So how many films do you think you've actually done so far? I mean, I've done a bunch of different like short films over the right. years and music videos. Um, I don't know. I'd probably, not like a ton, but you know, more than like 20, 25 productions, something like that yeah, nice. over the years. I mean, and that includes like I've done music videos and stuff like that too. So, so, fun. Yeah. so the music videos, with the exception of Colleen's band at the time, who have you done some music videos for? Oh, man. Um, I did one with a friend of mine for this band called Great Heights Band. I think mm-hmm. they're still together doing stuff. Um, More local? Yeah, it's mainly local. just local stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And where so, do they put their music video, like on YouTube? Yeah, it was yeah. just, yeah, yeah, mainly on YouTube yeah. and stuff. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's I mean, where Justin Bieber bit. was found. <laughs> yeah, no, it's huge, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised you know who that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember who, who, was it Nelly? Nelly, yeah. See? No, but we um, we do, we, we've got an in-house drone, drone pilot, does our drone work, and videographer, photographer, and he does all of our, all of our video editing and stuff like that. that. That equipment is, like, ridiculously expensive. Yeah, it can get expensive really fast. I mean, my mm. gosh. Yeah, I was going to say, because everything you do is digital, right? Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's all, there's no physical media in it. Right. It. Yeah, it's all like SD cards and stuff like that mm-hmm. these days. I had a guy, a gentleman on before who does the same thing, mm-hmm. and his dream was they wanted to do something, was it 16 millimeter or 32? Yeah, so he probably wanted to do like a film, like a short film with like 16 yeah. mil. Yeah, yeah, Sort of like, who's the, who's the one actor that you, does that? I don't know if is that what he's actually or not actor director that uses that. Is it Quentin Tarantino? I mean, Quentin Tarantino uses film. Like a lot of people will use film nowadays. Still, like, yeah. they'll try to, but it's just like it's just so expensive. You oh, know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, you can see a difference too. Yeah, no, you can. I mean, it's like cameras can replicate it, replicate it a lot better these right. days, but it's still not perfect. I mean, you're never going to replace like that film feel that you get and everything so i mean yeah i'd always want to shoot with something like that too like that would be great to shoot on 16 or 35 i didn't realize it was that expensive to do it yeah it's just because you know you got to make sure you're having the stock and then you got to process it and everything and you know there's always 
chances of things getting messed up and right. stuff like that. So, there's so a lot what's more your factors. what's the dream thing that you would like to film? I'm sure it'd be like a a full-length movie yeah i mean that's really where i'm at now i mean with the two screenplays it's like one is sort of a coming-of-age story that's set in like the early 90s that takes place in and around baltimore so that that's one that i'm definitely trying to get off the ground and then there's another one that i wrote which is a horror film that takes place during world war one and that one i'm trying to get done in stop motion animation so i've met a few like I have a really good director that's kind of overseeing the project that's over in the UK that I met um, about a year and a half ago. So oh, wow. yeah, so trying to get both those into the world out there, but so, it's not easy. <laughs> so what would be your dream project, and who would be on it? Um, I mean, just being able to like get either of these projects made would be amazing. Right. I think it's like. You know, I'm not I'm not deflecting, but uh, <laughs> film like film is so fickle. Like that's the thing. Like unlike writing, you know, writing is like you can finish it, put it out there for people. But film is just you can have something that one person says is great, another person says is junk. You know, and it just all depends on who you're talking with. And there's just so many little small things that just derail a film from getting made. Yeah. So it's like any time a film gets made, it's kind of a small miracle because mm. there just are so many more factors that you're dealing with. Um, so for me, I mean, it would really just be about like even if I just got one feature done and had like a good crew and it all kind of came together, I mean, I'd be more than happy with that yeah. in itself because it's no small feat, that's yeah. for sure. But you wrote the script for both both of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it starts with it starts with an idea, and then you've actually got to write the script. Yeah. And then you've got to get it into production. That's, I mean, that's the trick is like, I always tell people with film, it's just like 10% of it is actually the art part. (laughs) 90% is the politics of it all. Mm. Because you have to make sure like, you might know this person. It's a huge game, really. (laughs) You Mm. kind of like, you say, okay, you, you run into a producer and he says, okay, well, I'm interested, but you need to get this X amount of money before I'll come on board. And then you turn that conversation and you go to financiers and you say, well, hey, we got this producer, but he needs X amount of money. Do you want to put up the money? And then they're like, yes, because you have this producer. And then that's how these things build. So it's just like it's a whole dance that you have to do with it all. So it's like you wear a totally different hat when you're like after you're done the art part. The business side of things. Yeah, it's just the politics of it all. Exactly, and it's all about who you know and the connections, yeah. and you know none of that has really changed with the the Hollywood system, yeah. so to speak. Hasn't politics cha- and everything is yeah. It so, hasn't I mean, changed in roofing either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, all right. So with I guess with actors, <clears throat> excuse me, because with the screenplay, how many different characters are there? Um, I think with like the coming of age one, there's it's a pretty diverse cast of characters. So I think it's like a core group of like five but then i think another like five or six secondary characters and everything so yeah i mean it's you know that's a whole other game of like the casting right. and you know because most if you want to work with like a pretty reputable casting agent i mean they're gonna charge even for like a low indie feature probably about like anywhere from six to ten grand whoa to come on board mm. to to help you cast because they have the connections with the studios and stuff and then even after that it's like you're going to have the battle of, okay, I want somebody, like, for instance, I know um, if you want somebody like Aaron Eckhart, right, for your film, he's probably going to cost, like, at least $750,000 to get him into, like, a production around Whoa. that number. 
even somebody like uh, like I'm working on a production right now in L.A. That's an indie horror film, and one of the actors we're looking into is like his bottom line is usually about like 50k, and like he's been in a few bigger things, but he's by no means like a household name, right? You know, but that's usually you know you're fighting that too. So even after you get money, because like this production we have about 250k to work with. But it's still like you're going to enter negotiations with actors and their agents and, you know, they have to actually like the script first. So it's just like all of these little so tiny, movies, yeah. yeah, it's a ton. Yeah, wow. like with Star Wars, when they did the prequel and they brought in like Samuel L. Jackson yeah. and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> what's her name? Natalie Portman. That was mm-hmm. like, that. It, it, it wasn't well received. <laughs> and then they did the sequel and then they brought in like the unknown actors because it was always Star Wars was always better without like Hollywood A listers. Mm-hmm. At least I thought when they did when they did four, five, and six, it was like I don't know Samuel L. Jackson. Come on, man! Like I love <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, but not in Star Wars, man. That's a that's a that's a story where it's like unknown actors yeah. like are the best ones. Yeah. And then when they did, like, uh, Rise of Skywalker and all that stuff, and it was, like, the girl that nobody knew, you know, that, those were those were really good. But, yeah, I imagine the casting, because you've got to meet with them and tell them what kind of character you want and the features that you want to see. Is it a tall? Do you, do you visualize him as, you know, skinny, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um and then they've got to reach out to their network and find the people, and then you've got to figure out what they want and how much. To, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a little business that you run. And yeah, I mean, it all starts with them actually liking the script because, like, even that'll derail a whole conversation. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's just like if they just think the script is junk, <laughs> you know, they won't even want to attach their name to it or whatever. Well, if you ever need anybody, I know I know a person that's done several videos and has played Spider Man, Joe Ayler. or Santa Claus. Yeah, I bring cameras. You know that. I only have a. You got your cast right here. Yeah, I'll help you out. There we go. Perfect. A beauty pageant winner, a Santa Claus, and Spider Man. It sounds like we're doing a comedy show. More than a more than a movie. Yeah, and an author. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Love that. Santa and Spider Man versus Mrs. Marilyn. <laughs> and we have two Tony productions to get it on film. Yes. <laughs> We've got an idea. Exactly. An idea was born today. That's, that's all you need. <laughs> Where did this derail? <laughs> well, with all that, you know, your story just of, of growing up and all that you've been to, and even just this year, you have a story of resilience. Mm-hmm. You're determined. Thank you're you. persistent. No doubt you're going to succeed. Like, I know it. So um, I can't wait to get that selfie with you, and I'll be like, I know, I know him, I know him. I mean, I'm humbled by that. Yeah, I would definitely encourage you to to stay, you know, follow your dreams and your passion because you know, in in my life, you know, ten years ago, I was in a very different spot, and Mm -hmm. five years can Mm -hmm. it'll go by very quickly, but you can be in a a much different place than you never dreamed of you know exactly um and it and it goes quick but it doesn't take a lot of time to i know the younger generation will get um discouraged about um you know what they what they view as a success in their yeah. life and mm-hmm. all these expectations and this big life that you have in front of you and yeah it's it's 
stay on the path yeah and stay on the grind and yeah and, and stay and, happy with your, with what you're doing yeah, yeah exactly it's that that's probably one of the most important things that a lot of people don't realize you can make all the money in the world but if you're not happy doing it and if you don't have time for yourself and your family and you're not having fun it's time to look you know, to do something else, mm-hmm. you know, and I commend Joe for that because Joe is very big and giving back and, and same with Julia too, but both have given back into the community. This man is always posting stuff with his kids. I think his kids are getting sick of him at times. <laughs> <laughs> Julia doesn't see her kids as much anymore. <laughs> well, now that I've uh, crowned my successor, I'm definitely at home more. There you but go. yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of behind-the-scene works, a lot of grinding. You said mm-hmm. get to stay on the grind. There's so much behind-the-scenes that outwardly people on social media are like, oh, you're a published author, but there's so much behind-the-scenes, yes. so much that people don't see. Just keep at it. And you just seem like you have a happy demeanor, so I mean, I was positive, tell, happy. Exactly. I, I'll tell people, like, uh, you know, when I wake up, I'm like, I, I already won the lottery. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm here. I'm alive. Yeah. Everything else from there is, is just icing on the cake. It's just a so, plus. Yeah, exactly. So Especially this year with what you went through with yeah. your surgery mm-hmm. earlier this year. It's just, I'm sure, blessings upon blessings and just feeling that heart of gratitude. Mm-hmm. I see that. Actually, yeah. for somebody that that's younger than you, because you're younger than us. <laughs> so somebody, and of course, you're all younger than me. <clears throat> Shut up, Joe. <laughs> um, but some, I mean, let's somebody that's in school now, in high school. What bit of advice would you give them if they want to get into doing film or even writing? I mean, I would say don't hesitate. That's the biggest thing. I think the more, like, groundwork you can give yourself, like, to go ahead, mm-hmm. the better. You know, because it's just like, especially when you're younger, that it's funny because you think you have a lot of obligations, but you really don't. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's like t- if I would have taken that extra step and had that confidence back then, I could have started building something much, much, you know, long ago, which would have been great. But I think that's the thing. I think a lot of people just hesitate too much. So yeah. that, to me, is, like, the part not to worry about. And it's a slow build. I think, again, like you had said, um, the the notion nowadays is, like, instant gratification for mm-hmm. stuff. Absolutely. And I think if you're not getting stuff overnight, you're kind of looking at it as, like, a failure. But, like, nothing. I mean, you look at any artist that has gotten to, like, a certain level, it's like they all started with, like, something very small – yeah. And they just don't, you know, they might talk about it a little bit, but it just, people like to just act like they came out of nowhere, but right. it's like nobody comes out of nowhere. That's right. You know, and it's all building. Yeah, it's weird when you're young because <clears throat> there's there was a part of me when I was young where I would be in situations and I would feel that I wouldn't have the respect because I didn't have enough experience. So I think there's like this confidence experience kind of relationship where mm-hmm. you know like a young filmmaker might be super talented and might be actually and older people could be intimidated by like how much potential there is there and and an intellect but that person might feel um uh you know like they, they they don't command the respect because they don't have the experience you yeah. know which is kind of weird but do you think that somebody like has to go to film school to get into film like is that necessary i mean that's always something i say is like uh i don't want to knock film school i'm glad i went to film school but i really don't think that you need film school honestly because like i learned more 
after I got out of film school and started working with a few like corporate studios and stuff like that and had seen people that have been doing it for a long time and I just learned a ton more just being there on set and everything whereas like film you're learning fundamentals and sure you're watching things that you might have not been exposed to from different cultures and stuff but when it comes to the actual practicality of it all you know that's the number one thing to do is like get on film sets even as like an intern or things like that because you just you talk with so many different people that have been doing it for such a long time and you just to my from my experiences you just learn so much more that way it's a great idea have you actually reached out to like the local community colleges or anything to offer internships to the students um so i have actually like gotten outreach from a few people because i went to towson okay and, uh i've gotten a few people that have come from towson that i've like have interned in a slight way with me and i've been able to sort of like do some mentoring and stuff right. so yeah i've had a few cases of people over the years that's good and yeah most of them are still doing it and stuff which is great to see because I feel like a lot of people from my graduating class and just in general, they get out there and they don't know what to do. They don't know right. where to go. And then they end up just falling into something else. So I always try to like find people, especially ones that reach out to me and just say, yeah, I'll just give you a total brain dump and you can take with it as you will. Because I just want them to be successful too, you know. Yeah. I don't want people to get discouraged. I guess with, with the film industry, with what you're doing, is, is there – any like apprenticeship programs i mean you can definitely like that's the thing like i think a lot of people especially at bigger film schools so like usc for example it's like they certainly teach that a lot better so you right. see people like i'm connected with a lot of people on linkedin and i've seen them where they're like intern with like blumhouse or like at mgm oh, wow. or stuff like that <clears throat> out there and then they'll that's how they kind of get their first step into the industry Right. So that's the biggest thing is like interning above all else. If you can get in with like a bigger studio, especially, then like always do that because that's how you're gonna at least get offered something if you do a good job at it. You know. So you've had your company for a little over ten years. Yeah. Ten years from now, where would you like to see it? I mean, I want to just be in the feature film space, like completely. Uh, I want to be not only writing my own stuff, but through the networking I've done over the last year and a half especially, mm -hmm. I've met so many talented filmmakers who do amazing work and they have amazing ideas. And I want to find a system where it can just be easier for people to get the financing and stuff like that because that's the hardest part. You right. know, there's a million great ideas, but it's really the disconnect is the financing. And that's usually because most people don't have, you know, a, a rich uncle or, you know, things like that because – you know, I've had frank conversations with producers and one, for instance, was just like, you know, there's three ways you get into this industry. One is money. Two is you have a great intellectual property like Jurassic Park that everybody wants. Or right. three is you're just a phenom and you just keep knocking at the door. And he said, of course, three is like the hardest route of them all. And I mean, that's pretty much what I'm trying to do myself. But uh, but that's it. I mean, those are your three kind of options. So if there can be a bigger open door for people to find financing and get connected with those people, then I'd love to try to find a way to, to just make that process easier. Mm -hmm. Do you ever go to the schools and talk about this? 
I'd like to start doing more with that. Yeah. Like, I am getting ready. Like, I think next week I'm meeting with, like, the American Heart Association here in Baltimore. Oh, wow. To talk with them. Because I've always wanted to be involved with them, but especially after the surgery. Right. Like, right. I just think having conversations with people who are about to get surgery, because I wish I would have known a million things yeah. right. before, you know, because they just kind of say, you're going to come in, we're going to cut you, blah, 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 we're <laughs> right. good. And you're fine and go <laughs> yeah. home. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it was just like, oh, no. <laughs> like, there's a lot more to it, so... Yeah, I really want to just start getting a lot more involved with different groups and having more talks with people because, yeah, I think there's a lot to gain from just listening. Yeah, because I think if, if – which the American Heart Association, if you can line up with them, that'd be great. But if you have the ability to go to the schools, um, because I think they still teach film in high school. Yeah, they're right, right yep. And talk to the students, that, I mean, and tell them the ins and the outs and – yeah, because a lot of people don't realize it, it's it's a lot of hard work, mm-hmm. and it's not always as glamorous as some people make it sound. Yeah, you know. But kudos to you because you decided to start your own business and go at it. Yeah, other I mean, people would have said, "Uh, uh-uh, I ain't doing that." <laughs> I mean, I would definitely say it's like a harder road. And I mean, I was just talking with somebody yesterday on a shoot, and he was kind of saying, oh, well, I wish when I was in school I would have done, like, an MBA program or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's what I try to say, too, is just, like, I think film can be something you're passionate about, and, like, but I don't think you necessarily need to, to take that focus for the schooling part into it. I think for anything, like, I was lucky because I grew up, like, my mom is a psychotherapist, so psychology was always big. Right. And that <clears throat> factors in so much in the writing that people don't realize. So I'm always like, when you're in college, like, take psychology, take, you know, like, I had a feminist studies class, which was amazing. Like, I opened up my mind to so many different topics I didn't realize were going on with the world and stuff like that. Right. But that's, you know, that's my lament, too, is like, if anything, I wish I would have done something different with the actual degree and then had film as that thing that, like, was my passion and I went into, but I would always have something else, like, under the belt you know, to, to fall back on for things or just to have as like a way to help finance things better and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause that's the struggle. I mean, you know, when you're an artist, you're just, you're an artist in that world. And unless you're like one of those rare 1% that gets picked up and is mainstream, the money part of it is always going to be a little bit tough. Right. You know, cause there's a lot of freelancing, there's a lot of networking and everything that you have to really build up to get to a point where you're sustaining yourself like full time. You'll get there. It's grit. When you said number three was phenom, I was like, yeah, (laughs) just a lot of grit. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. You can do it. Well, one good thing, too, with because in Baltimore, you're seeing throughout the years, you're seeing more filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So because that's one thing with networking, listeners may be like, who are you going to network with where you're at? But there's how many production companies in Baltimore? I know there's a ton of them. Yeah, there's a bunch. Out there. Um, and look at a lot of the, geez, famous directors and everything else that's around here that I'm sure if you reached out to them, they would probably say, yeah, I, I, I'll i give you some advice. I'll talk to you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is like, you just can't be afraid to do the outreach. Yeah. And I think that took me a while too, to just be like, you know what? Like I can just email these people and if they don't respond, okay. But if they do, maybe we'll get like a nice conversation out of it. And I've been doing that for the last year and a half, and it's proven pretty great. 
just learning stuff. Yeah, when you've got the internet at the tips I mean. of your like, fingers, there, there's no so, excuses. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had a conversation about that with somebody. Like, I, you know, grew up with, like, encyclopedias. And uh-huh. so I had to go and learn the Dewey Decimal System and, like, the old school research for college. Like, open up the book. And now it's Google. I was going to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> when, but that's what I mean. People come you know? to me and they're like, how do I publish a book? I'm like, Google. Google. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's how I learned everything. Like, Google, yeah. You teach yourself everything. Um, and I wanted to say something with um, how everything is going with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really big on, like, me, myself. It's like you jump out and you build the plane on the way down, you know? And I kind of feel like that's a little bit of what you're doing, which is you figure – you're not going to plan – you're not going to have it all figured out. Yeah, exactly. You know? And you just, you just go. You just have the grit and just keep going, keep mm-hmm. going. And – before you know it, you're you're flying. You're flying in your airplane. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's what, with the book especially. Like, the first one I put out, I just put it out. Like, there's no build-up or anything. And then I knew for this one, it was like, okay, I did that, and that wasn't super effective. So this next one, let's have, like, a build-up. And, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. let's reach out to people and try to build up some, like, thoughts and all that. So it's just like, yeah, you do. You build each time. Yeah. And that's what I mean. Like this time, the first time with the book, like reaching out to bookstores, it was like, I think I got about 13, but I literally every morning was waking up and just going on Google and saying, okay, what state? I would just type in a state and then indie bookstores in that state. Right. And I would just email every single one every morning. And I got 13 out of that. But then this time around, I knew automatically that if I reached out to those 13, then they would all be automatic yeses. And they pretty much were. And now I'm just doing, again, the same round of just finding them and then emailing them. And yeah. that's what it really comes Have down to. Have you reached to. out to the libraries as well? That is that is something I want to do with this one. Because okay. that's, yeah, a lot of uh, self-published authors, that, like, you can actually make a pretty good amount of money if you get in with, like, a whole library system. Because mm-hmm. they're ordering books for every single branch of those libraries. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, and, they're, and they'll also have you come in and do the book signings as yeah, well. Yep, you can do more stuff like that. Even yeah. like Barnes & Nobles locally, like I have reached out to them and their process is a little bit slower. Right. But yeah, at least here in Baltimore, I might be able to get the book into Barnes & Noble perhaps. So right. we'll see if that pans out or anything. Yeah, I've it heard will. Barnes & Nobles, um, they're actually willing to work with a lot of the local artists. Even if you say like you'll just have it in for, you know, at certain times of the day or certain for a few weeks and mm-hmm. see how it goes. Yeah. Or, yeah, they seem at least the one here in Bel Air. Hint, hint. Well, um, and the other thing I've is heard. too, because you mentioned independent bookstores, but how many are there around here anymore? Mm-hmm. I know the one in Bel Air shut down. <laughs> yeah, the only say, one a, I can think of Harford in, County is in Haverty Grace. Yeah, there's a couple in Baltimore. Is there? There's like three or four in Baltimore, I think. That's mainly where you see it. Like wherever it's like, like, like the cities. cities yeah. yeah, you see a lot of indie bookstores. Because like I remember I had one all the way out in like Spokane, Washington. I had the book, my last book, out there. Wow. Yeah. And then I happened to go on a trip out there last year and went there and signed a few copies and stuff, which is pretty cool. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's what you see is, like, these cities, more cityscape-type places have the indie bookstores. Yeah. And then you got to figure out, like, your marketing strategy. Is it the hard copy version or is it the digital, you know, mm-hmm. digital marketing strategy, you know? Yeah, I mean, the nice thing is with, like, most of the booksellers, it's just, like, that's automatically going to be, like, the physical variant like the digital is really kind of just for people on the amazon platform and stuff like that right. yeah but i mean do you spend most like is it your is it is it worth your time spent you know forming those relationships with those local stores or just you know trying to you know 
be more present on like social media platforms oh, yeah. and building your brand. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like a dance with all of it. Yeah. Like that's the crazy part. Cause like a lot of the bookstores, like they don't want somebody who's just coming to them saying, Hey, can you carry my book? And they have zero online presence cause they know they're probably not going to sell those books. But if you come, like what I do is like you, you build up basically a whole kind of presentation where you kind of say, Hey, this is my marketing strategy. This is like the, what the book looks like. This is what I'm doing in order to promote it. And you tell them all these things, and then they're more likely to carry it because they know you're putting the work in right. that's going to help them sell it, you know, because you're kind of building up, like, nationwide coverage mm-hmm. of it and everything. And like you said, all that stuff costs money. All yeah, that, all the, all the, the travel and the, and the and just all the the. The commu- you're running, it's your bu- it's a business. The communication. That's, that's yeah. where the traditional publishing is helpful because they take care of pretty much all of that. Right, they yeah. have the marketing department and advertising, and here you're wearing multiple hats and doing mm-hmm. it yourself. Yeah. Roll up your sleeves and do it all and learn how to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And just, I mean, just knowing, like, what events to go to, what's happening, it's just, like, keeping up with that has been my biggest... I want to get better thing. at that. Yeah. yeah. The, the personal appearances and trying to book out, like different festivals and stuff yeah. like that because that i mean that's come back of course covid like yeah. th- threw a wrench and all that for a right. while but now they're sort of back into the swing of it all so that's what i'm trying to get better at with this book is just <clears> like <throat> seeing what events are going on and going to those events and stuff like that yeah. but i think the more time we spend in the space just like our respective networks and industries that, that we're a part of you gain more connections yeah. mm-hmm. you you um you meet new people and new opportunities and you get a little more uh, savvy on what channels to kind of pursue. And, exactly. and, um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it, it, it's, it's neat to experience it in, in my industry, how we've grown over the last couple of years. And then you look back and you're like all, all the different, just, uh, meetings and just people you meet by chance mm-hmm. and what, you know, meeting turned into what opportunity and how exactly. you got there and all that. But yeah, but what I've learned is you, you, you get out of it what you put into it, you know, 100%. and, 100%. and yeah. that's, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's cool. It's cool to be on that journey though. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is. It's just like, you know, when I got back into the writing space, it was like, I just kept telling myself, okay, I want to write and I want to have this mean something. And I remember it was, you know, 2020, and I was working on the first screenplay and stuff, and I was just trying to... I wrote this article just myself, you know, for no reason other than I wanted to write an article. Mm. And I just started reaching out to... It was a music-based article, so I started reaching out to different music, like, online magazines. And then, again, by happenstance, I found this one called Perfect Sound Forever, which they used to be a print magazine, I think started in, like, 93 or 94. Right. And now they're all online, but... I sent the article to the guy who was the editor, and he was like, well, you know, actually, we did just have somebody that isn't writing for us as much, so we'll, like, publish this article for you. And now I just, it's, you know, it's nothing I'm making money off of or anything, but I'm now kind of like a staff writer in that every few months they'll publish, like, whatever I kind of pitch to them. Nice. Yeah. But again, that was just, you know, I wanted to do something. I did it, didn't really know where to go, like the building the plane, you know, and it was just like I just sent it out to people. And that was the one that was kind of like, yeah, let's do it. And I've been working with them since, yeah, that was about summer of 2020. 
that I've and then I'll go on your resume as published works. Yeah, exactly. And... They're all yeah. The links are all there for yeah. people to go to the website cool. and stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. You're doing big things. <laughs> You're doing big things. Getting I mean, there. Getting yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> Tell everybody your website again and how they can get your books. Yeah, so the website is twotonyproductions.com, and from there there's links to where you can purchase the books, and then, of course, just simply going on Amazon and either searching for Just a Boy Blaming Himself or Focus Pooler. I would keep in mind, though, with Focus Pooler, search under books because it is actually... Focus Puller is actually like an object for focus pooling. Right. So if you just search Focus Puller, you're going to get a ton of actual products from Amazon. So you have to kind of click really? on the yeah yeah, so you have to click on the book section. That's how you get to focus puller. <laughs> I'm glad you told me that. I probably what is a focus pull? What, what like, would come up? It's like it's like a little device that you put on the camera, like on a lens that like you adjust. Ah, so it's an actual yeah, hardware, right? Okay. There's like I'm going to end up having a calling. It's like, dude, I thought you said you wanted a pull, man. It's a camera accessory. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> This isn't digital. Uh-huh. This is an actual physical thing. Jip me. You didn't write a book. You, you made a product. Well, first of all, yeah, congratulations. And you are, with everything you've been through, you're a true inspiration to a lot of people. I mean, just Thank meeting you. you today, but it's, you are. You're, I can already tell you, you're a true inspiration, everything you've been through. And you don't give up, man. You, you may have had the mechanical valve, but you have a heart that is bigger than a lot of people I've met yeah. before. Well, I really appreciate that. And I'm really humbled. Next book or, or, or the first movie, let me know because you got to come back on. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And you know, just we don't want to see Joe on the billboard for the movie or anything like that. In a Spider-Man get suit. Fi- yeah, he's going to get top billing. Top billing. I just, I just wanted to say one thing, though. You have to be a G-rated uh, I film. I did notice when you were asking him a question and you said an older people and you pointed at me. <laughs> really? That's, it's a thing now. It'll never stop. I know it will. I, I get it at home. I might as well get it everywhere else. So, Julia, great seeing you. Joe, even though you're picking on me, great seeing you. Daniel, it was great meeting you and... Thank you so much. Continue success, and I wish the best for you, man. That means so much. I really appreciate that. I want to thank Julia and Joe for sitting in on this conversation, and I especially want to thank Daniel Hess. His story is inspiring. I hope everybody got something out of that. And I'll have links to his website and how you can get in touch with him in the show notes. And for a recommended podcast, since he does do film production, I decided to find one about film, the Projection Booth Podcast. It's been recognized as a premier film podcast by the Washington Post, the AV Club, IndieWire, Entertainment Weekly, and Filmmaker Magazine. They regularly attract special guest talents eager to discuss their past gems, including Ellen Bernstein, Willem Dafoe, John Landis, Dolph Lundgren, John Waters, and many others. The podcast features discussions of films from a wide variety of genres with in-depth critical analysis. Again, that's the Projection Booth Podcast, and I'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. If you would like to come on the podcast, if there's somebody that you would like me to get on or a subject you want us to talk about, go to conversationswithrichbennett.com, click the Be a Guest, fill in the form, I'll get the information, and we'll get everything set up. 
While you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. Leave a review if you can, because when you leave a review, I do contests and giveaways, and you're automatically entered. Until next time, my name is Rich Bennett. Stay safe, and thank you for joining the conversation. So I am sitting here today. I have a young lady on that is a very talented photographer, Emily Adolph. And she's got something very special, especially if you run a nonprofit. Oh, she's got something special for you. But if you just need photography in general, you want to get a hold of her. So how are you doing, Emily? I'm doing good, Rich. Thank you for having me on today. Oh, my pleasure. Tell us what it is that you are, this special that you're running. Yeah. so Special from, for special people because you're special, right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So <laughs> what I'm offering is free photography services to nonprofits here in Harford County. And mm-hmm. um, initially I was running it from now until the end of June, but what I've decided to do is extend it out. Um, so now I'm right. offering it from now until um, the end of August. So until August 31st, that, that, you know, weekend um, figured, you know, it's a, it's a busy time of year season for mm-hmm. you know nonprofits having events in the summertime. Um, but yeah, really just want to support, help nonprofits capture, you know, moments and, and the, um, experiences of the events that they're hosting without having to, you know, worry about funding the photographer. Right. Um, so yeah, that's just a little bit about, you know, what I'm, I'm giving back to the community. Which is great because a lot of your nonprofits don't take photos of their events yeah. and they should be on their websites. I agree. You I know, agree. even for upcoming events, you know, it's nice if you had the photos from last year to, to ask, Hey, look, this is what we're doing. This is how good it is. Yeah. And also, but you also do other types of photography in case somebody wants to hire you, right? I do. Yeah, I do portraits, families, event, you know, other events, musicians, bands. Those are my my key focuses. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And how does somebody hire you? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, they would just go to my website. So it's www.emilyadolf.com. So that's E M I L Y A D O L P H dot com. Well, first of all, thank you for doing that because that's awesome. Thank and you. especially now, for, a lot of your nonprofits are struggling yeah. because you're just like all of us, inflation's hitting them hard. Yep. You know, and you have, you know, some venues around that shut down. So some of them are struggling to find a place. And yep. here you are reaching out to help. And for those of you that don't know about Emily, this is, Emily just loves to help people out. Yeah, I do. So. Help her out as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, hire her for your photography news. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Rich.